protests have traction. We've seen historically, and just recently, how protests have successfully brought attention to crucial issues. Regardless of where you stand on protest or the issues behind them, people coming together to express their discontent with the powers that be have a huge impact on how we move the needle in the fight for justice. Coming up on Counter Stories. This is Counter Stories, a podcast by people of color, for people of color, and everyone else. I'm Anthony Galloway, senior partner at Dendros Group and executive director of Arts Us. I'm Don Eubanks, associate at Dendros Group and cultural consultant. And I'm Halili, owner of the Other Media Group and producer of Counter Stories. Today on Counter Stories, we 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 have been kind of looking through some of the things that are happening, and we 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 found a little pattern and through line that we think is important to talk about. There's a lot that's been said about protests. There's a lot that's been said about whether they're effective. And we know some of the historical examples. But but as we speak, as we are speaking, not only has the Keystone XL pipeline, the project has been aborted by the energy company, TC Energy. Um, we are also, you know, in a space where we're talking about the reopening of George Floyd Square. The fact that the George Floyd Square exists is a result of protests and organizing on the ground. We even have, um, in the recent shooting of Winston Smith, um, we had several sheriff's agencies pulling out of a federal task force over the issue of body cameras, which on their own only are here because we have de- demonstrations and protests that worked to get them onto the books. So the, the question I want to throw out to, to my Counter Stories crew, um, to me, it seems that protests and organizing work. What are your thoughts as we talk, as we have these three monumental things that are happening all at the same time? Well, I guess my question, I'm not going to answer your question yet. <laughs> I'm going to ask a question. And that is, what do you mean when you say protests? True indeed. True indeed. Uh, very important question. I'm going to kick it out to y'all first because I have a very clear definition for me. I think when people think protests, they think uh, marching in the streets. Uh, making signs, uh, showing up at the Capitol, you know, uh, with a bunch of other people with signage. I, I think that's what comes into people's minds when you say protest. Hmm. You know, and I think that, you know, when I think about that, you know, I have to put on one of my earlier hats. Very early in my career, I uh, attended a place called the Center for Urban Encounter. I was working at a Ramsey Action Programs, which was the local uh, poverty agency on the war against poverty, if you remember that, from the 60s and the 70s. I took community organizing. And so, you know, all the things that you said, um, Hilly, hold true, because we were taught the purpose of gathering individuals, um, creating signs, having them show up at meetings was to bring attention to an issue um, to the policymakers and those in power or those who had some say in the power structure in order to uh, affect change. And so, you know, I think that the style of organizing that I learned was through Saul Alinsky and um, which, you know, he had done some uh very powerful work in the labor unions in Chicago and elsewhere. So when I think protests and and when I think of 
Black Lives Matter. I think of the protests that have happened at the uh, Line 3 here in northern Minnesota, and more importantly, also the protest in, in South Dakota with the uh, tribe in the uh, the oil pipeline there. I think about um, the protests that have happened just recently in in Minneapolis, up in you know uptown area um, on Gerard and, and and Lake Street, where the the shooting took place. And uh, to me, those are all kind of classic protests uh, of bringing attention to an issue to the powers it may be to uh, impact change. You know, I, I think of, of protest, of course, along the lines that you just shared, um, you know, you can, you can go with the basic definition of gathering together in opposition to something or to voice opposition to something you think is wrong or things shouldn't be there. But, but also um, to expand to the, the organizing pieces that go coincide with it. So, you know, causing uh, public disturbance to call attention to an issue is one piece of it, but you also have folks who are on the ground who are writing to legislators who are making it clear that, uh, particularly for political leaders, that this issue must be addressed and um, your uh, position, your political position um, requires you to respond, all right? And, and, not, and it doesn't necessarily mean that they have to respond positively to it, right? Um, you know, getting folks to say, to voice a decision on an, on an issue, um, even if it's against an issue, is also part of the win and the organizing side. So I kind of have a definition of protest that includes the organizing around. And, um, and I think there are examples, we, we have, civil rights has formed our, our main example of protest, but um, would we not call the Boston Tea Party <laughs> A protest would, you know, or is it a riot or is it, you know, what are we going to call January 6th? Cause there's a whole lot of folks who say January 6th, uh, assaults of the Capitol building was just a protest. And we're clear that that's not the case. And so, or at least I'm clear that that's not the case. Other folks may disagree. So I, I understand Lee, the importance of being able to articulate that. Um, but also let's look at the fruits of, of, of what they, what they bring. Um, I think closing down an intersection to memorialize another high-profile unarmed killing of a black man is a major monumentous thing and and existed for a long time in ways that weren't even conceivable prior to it. That's a result of people taking it to the taking to the streets and saying these issues must be addressed to the point where folks had to move beyond just trying to avoid the unrest and now have to deal and center the issues. The protests outside of governors office. The protest, um, the protest outside of the Hennepin County attorney's office, um, I think have absolutely had an effect on moving the case to the office of the attorney general. Um, and so I think there are direct correlations between actions, demonstrations, things that have been taken and, um, calling attention to issues. If that is your through line for what a protest is and whether it's successful, I think there's some successes that some folks can point to and say, yes, this was a success. I mean, historically, we can point to things, right? The labor movement, mm. the civil rights movement, protesting has, has worked. Um, I think when we think of modern day protesting, um, there are different ways of protesting. I don't think that we're no longer limited to making signs and showing up at someone's office um, or signing a petition. Um, I think that, you know, there's different ways of showing up for a cause to 
amplify it um, than just going to a protest. I used to go to protests and I don't know, maybe it's because I've gotten older. I don't know why, but like I just I stopped going. I, I try to do the, these other things. And, and when when we see that the, the what we've been protesting has been brought to the attention of the people who hold all the power, I feel like I've added to to the movement without having actually shown up physically at these locations. And so when I think we say, you know, did you participate in this protest? I, I, I don't look at it as a singular event because these topics are so much larger. These events are held to bring attention to the larger topic. I think part of, you know, part of that through line is, is, you know, it's a gathering, like you said, uh, Anthony, it's a gathering of individuals to bring attention to an issue. It's, it's the language, you know, and it's the language, it's that term protest that I think in and of itself, um, unless someone, you know, brings along a clarification of what that means, essentially it's people getting together with a common interest to bring some uh, issue to the forefront in order to achieve justice. I mean, like you said, um, one of the early American history studies, most of us were taught in grade school. I'm trying to think of when I first heard about it, you know, in history or social studies or whatever the heck we called it back then, was the Boston Tea Party. Right. And I mean, just the name in and of itself is, you know, you think Boston Tea Party, a bunch of people got together and poured tea and had, you know, not. And, and then you learned that, you know, you learned that the colonists at that time were protesting against the taxes that the king was imposing on goods and services here in the colonies. And uh, now at the time, I didn't realize it, but uh, in order to protest, they dressed up as. I was told they dressed up as Indians, right? And then got on this ship and uh, were pulling off uh, pulling off tea and all this other kind of stuff, right? And uh, and so at the time, I didn't, you know, it, it didn't, well, whatever. I, I won't get into the dissectional thing. But the point of that lesson was that we had to stand up for our what we felt was right and that was the American way. You you hit on something there that I think is is very interesting. You know, one of the 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 pieces of um, you know the seven the surprising facts about the Boston Tea Party um, is that notion of um, you know protesting higher tax on tea. Right. That that's the 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 what we're given, and this confusion is partly based on timing, um, but it's not necessarily the full story, and so. Um, there's, you know, it in and of itself is, has, has many layers, but the dressing up as native peoples, I mean, let's, let's be clear. <laughs> it, it, it was, <laughs> folks did not think that, um, that they were not, would not be looked at as non, non natives, right? It wasn't, it, it wasn't there, um, as a, as a disguise is, is how, some of the added stories there, folks knew that they would be looked at as non-native folks. You know, we, we, we're in this, we, we have these conversations where folks try to equate the unrest. And, and let me be clear, even marching across the, the Edmund Pettus Bridge in Selma was considered an unpopular disruptive act. Now there are marching orderly 
two by two, singing songs across the bridge. It was known to the people protesting that that was going to be a provocative thing to do at that time. And the idea of a protest is not necessarily to be unprovocative. It's to, it's to disrupt business as usual so that we can call attention. Now, there's a very clear difference between sitting at George Floyd demanding accountability for something that has actually happened and storming a Capitol and causing the death of multiple people. I think we can draw a clear line of distinction. That's why Bacon's Rebellion is called Bacon's Rebellion, not Bacon's Protest. This is in the 1600s when white, black, native, and, 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 and poor white folks got together um, to overthrow uh, planters who, were being un- who they thought were being unfair, and they killed folks, right? Um, so there's a reason that's called a rebellion, just like Jan- January 6th should be treated as, as it is. There's a very stark difference for me for protest in the, in the ways that we talk about in terms of George Floyd Square, the government center, all these things where we occupy space so that folks are forced to contend with what? The issues that are being lifted at the front of it for policy change. I think we have to acknowledge that and some policies have changed as a result. We have to also acknowledge that people try to try to use the protests and the unrest as a reason to not acknowledge the changes that folks who are protesting are trying to bring about, right? There's this deflection that all of a sudden now, you know, uh, be going to a protest is seen as bad, or you're a violent person if you go to a protest, or, you know, um, there are all these things where pro- people who protest are all of a sudden being villainized. I mean, when, when Barack Obama was running for president the first time, people were like, oh my God, he was a community organizer. Ha, 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 lame. And my thought was like, what? That's effing awesome. I think that's great, <laughs> you know? But there's this kind of, like, you kind of look, you look down. I don't know. I have these, um, I was going to this gym and I met, some other girls there and, and we became Facebook friends and I, and I had posted some photos that I was ta- I had taken at a protest. And the next time I saw them, they're like, Oh, you're one of those people who like goes to those things. And I remember just thinking like, that's weird. Is it, is that weird that I, I go to protests? Is it bad? And, and, you know, they saw me a little bit differently mm-hmm. after that. And so I, there is this kind of like, Let's villainize the people so we can deflect from the issue. Mm. I think, um, you know, I, I was I was at a friend's um, place, her shop and a white woman. And I have a Black Lives Matter button on my purse. And she said to me, I agree that Black Lives Matter because, you know, like all lives matter. But <laughs> why do you have to shut down 94? Mm. Like, that's just really inconvenient for everybody else. And I was like, that's the point. You hear about all this stuff that doesn't affect your community. And you're like, oh, that sucks. But you don't do anything about it. But when you're stuck in traffic, that makes you mad. And all of a sudden, you're calling your senator and you're calling your representative saying, I need to get home to make dinner for my kids. So I don't you know, want the protesters to be closing 94. And in order to, in order to do that, you need to recognize these issues that they're bringing about. And after I said that to her, it was like, ding. She was like, oh, my God, I get it. <laughs> the, wow. That's, that's, just, that's powerful. And in that kind of context, that kind of nuance um, is, is one of the things that I find really unfortunate in how people engage around the discussion of protests, even in, in, in my own community space. 
I bounce and oscillate between folks who are like, I'm glad folks are, I'm glad young folks are getting onto the streets and making it plain. And it was the same language and, and people commenting that it was the same language um, that folks felt when, you know, during our, you know, parts of the modern civil rights era in the sixties, you know, young folks getting underground, carrying that energy forward and hearing from their parents, like, why are you out there rocking a boat like that? Why are you out there doing all that? You need to be, you don't, it, you know, you don't, I agree that we have an issue, but I don't agree with the method. And then it's funny that we hear a similar thing in some folks in community who are like, I agree with the issue. I don't agree with the method and the protests and stuff like that. So there's a generational thing for me. Oh my but, God, for, but, for real. <laughs> my, my mom, uh, when I, I went to Thailand, uh, my second trip to Thailand, I went with a group of women planning like a Hmong women's conference. Mm-hmm. And there was some news coverage and I happened to be in the background of that news coverage because they were at the conference planning and my aunt let my mom know and my mom called me and she was mad. <laughs> she was like, I didn't know that's why you were going. You shouldn't do that. People are going to see you in the background and think that, you know, you're you're trying to do all this stuff for equity. And that's not good because they'll come after you personally. And my mom was so concerned about my safety. After that. <laughs> yeah, I just I, I, I'm just I'm smiling because of the many different conversations I've heard from folks, um, you know, in, in a similar vein. Right. And, and there's always going to be a space in which a protest outpaces. And in this, I think, uh, Don, I think you said something about to, to this effect. I think it was back when we were covering the um, uh, Mike Brown. Jamar Clark. Well, <laughs> it so many names. Was, I think it was, you know, Jamar Clark, because we we we've talked. Right. You know, around this subject before in in, in uh, previous kind of stories. But I you know, I I think at that time, I, if I remember correctly, it could have been, but I know locally when when they were protesting the fourth precinct mm-hmm. after the Jamar Clark shooting, that you know we saw that's when we began to see that riff in the community between some of the older established kind of pastors and other elders in the in the community uh, were voicing some concerns about how they were protesting, mm-hmm. and because I remember we touched on that and. Because my comment at that time was, uh, you know, I've spent my entire life working internally trying to make change that would have a positive impact on our communities of color and the American Indian community. Right. I did it. I'm part of the baby boom. We protested when we were young. I was out protesting as a young man with AIM. Um, that brought change, you know, that, that brought change and recognition for American Indians. Then we moved, you know, many of us moved inside and, and continued our work inside, but nothing was happening. Nothing was changing. And I shared that I thought the tactics that this younger generation was doing was needed because it's cyclical. You know, I, you know, because we did, we protested like that when we were young. When and during the civil rights against the Vietnam War, aim. I mean, in our youth, you know, we (laughs) we protest in order to get things changed. And so sometimes, you know, as we get older, sometimes we need to get the hell out of the way. And and um and you know, I don't. I'm not seeing that as much as um. Currently, in terms of George Floyd, I think that incident pulled 
you know, when I when I think about the differences between the protests from Jamar Clark from Ferguson with uh you know with Browns shooting down there, I mean with with all these things that we have covered before in other episodes of Counter Stories, there was George Floyd's death for nine what eight and a half, nine minutes of watching this individual on his neck slowly snuff his life out. I think galvanized not only the Twin Cities in the United States, it galvanized the world. And it I galvanized mean, people who weren't who weren't pro people who, who weren't pro protesters right. before. Right? I mean, there's yes. people who really was like, okay, I, I have to do something. I just watched a man be killed by the police in front of a group of people. On um, YouTube, I mean on Facebook, I mean it it that shocked the world. They're, they couldn't deny what we had been saying and what we continue to say, right? Um, and I think, you know, something like that helped galvanize the world. The cyclical nature of this is that eventually, you know, when we, when we look at these kind of dynamics, one, a term that we use in social work and many other professions is, is homeostasis, where, where this thing wants to correct itself, right? It wants to get back to some kind of normalcy. Here we are, George Floyd Square, you know, the city's trying to open it up. I mean, and, here and, we are. And- and it's going to spark more, you know, more and more as folks try to take it back over because the demand, and, and I think this is important about the George Floyd Square reopening because in this through line, one of the things that I'm proposing to us to think about is that that protests and unrest are a response of the of community saying that they don't like something that's going on and they want to draw attention and change to it. If we're using that as a basis then we've seen some things, maybe nowhere near all the things that are being demanded. But I think George Floyd Square is a perfect example of that. The folks organizing at the square have had a list of demands that they would like the city to address. They would like leaders to address and and would hold the square until there is movement in addressing of those demands. It wasn't just a gathering. The, the closing of the square alone wasn't the, wasn't the purpose and the focus. And we seem to lose that in some of our discourse. There were clear demands that were posted but the entire time. I, but Anthony, I think part of the problem is that many of us, a lot of us aren't aware of those demands because if we're not a part of that group or we're not part of, you know, like for myself, I can't park two, three blocks away and walk there because of my knees. My knees have got me to the point where I can't get around. So I wasn't able, you know, otherwise I would have been at these protests. So I think part of the issue is, is, is not having that kind of information on what's going on in the background. You know what I mean? So the organizers who pull that together had a list of demands. Something may have been mentioned about that, you know, nine or 10 months ago, but then it fades out of memory. We have no idea what those individual demands are. We don't know what's going on in the background. And then that portion of this discussion gets lost. Well, I mean, that's that's the whole point of our our show counter stories, right? Because we have to take on the role of telling the stories that our major mainstream spaces don't necessarily do. What what I wanted to get to for those those demands, though, that that piece is is one. 
closing down an intersection and turning it into a memorial without the city having anything to say about it. That's a monumental thing. That's, that, that, doesn't, that doesn't happen. So I think I think that was monumentous of its on its own for community reclaiming a space, but 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 also in in terms of not just the key, Keystone being being shut down after all of the work um, at at in Standing Rock um, and all and organizing all the all the way around um, George Floyd Square is an indicator of this, and I, I want to just say that the fact that we have body cams alone is a direct result of protests and organizing to get that job done. So much so that we now have sheriff's departments and Adon, I think you said it's more than just Ramsey County have pulled from the task force that was involved in the shooting of Winston Smith, which said that they, as a federal policy um, had not, while, while they had been allowed to wear body cameras, it had not been implemented yet. And these sheriff's departments are saying, Oh no, 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 no. We're not joining in that task force until you put the body cams in the mix. Can I you imagine I that? that? I thought I read that wrong. Like seriously, that would not have happened five the, years ago. That's that wouldn't exactly have happened point. last year. That's yeah. exactly the point. And and so I think I think in terms of moving the needle, because what do protests do? They move the needle, right? They move mm-hmm. things along a journey of saying of, of forcing folks to have to deal reconcile with something. Our court cases are protests, and that's the other thing to your earlier question, uh, Lee, which I think is powerful. Um, is define in defining protest is. We're referencing some of the big on the ground major disruption spaces, but people have protested with their money. Look at what the threat of the threat of withdrawal from the NBA forced the NBA owners to to reprimand the owner who had that pub who who um, who had that recording that came out from the Clippers, right? And his racist comments went public, and the NBA was, acted swiftly and against their own rules for owners to make sure to oust him because of the threat of loss of, of, of revenue. We have corporations who are counter stories. We were, we were canceled and we're brought back because folks were saying, I'm, I'm canceling my membership. Folks are saying, why is this happening? And that was the only reason why we were brought back. Right. So walking walking with their money, right. Walking with their money. And that's, is that not protest? I mean, you know, the, the corporations have to be, have to make equity statements now on all of their commercials. It's, it's, it's hilarious in some cases. Protesting has also become a healing space. And I think Mm. we've seen this, we've seen this uh, really flourish with the murder of George Floyd because we were also in the middle of a pandemic, right? Where the, these protests became a place where folks could go to build community, to make friends, but also to get food, to, to heal. I mean, people were holding yoga circles, you know, I mean, it, it's become a, not just a, a, a space where we're demanding change, but it's a space where you're coming, we're coming together well, in a uh, po- really positive way. I can, I can add to that, right? Um, I joined the Twin Cities Interfaith Chaplains, which began to be invited in to provide care. We were handing out water, helping folks to, you know, as, as they were, you know, we, Don, if, if, if you would have rolled up and, and texted me and said, Hey, I wanted to be up in there. We'd have had a cart for you in a minute. Like we, we, <laughs> there were groups who, to your point, um, Lee, I got to see directly hands-on who were in s- extreme caretaking mode for the folks who were there voicing their concerns. Now, uh, you know, I want to add to on the healing space side, it also was very, very important because of the high profile nature for folks to grieve together, which is another part of that healing space. I can, you know, and there were folks, there were, there were native folks there, you know, who, who, with Sage, who were, who were holding ceremony in space. And there, there were 
um, you know, we had a, had, had her on a guest before Mary, Marianne Quiroz, um, uh, and the, the, uh, Mexican dancers or Mexica dancers were out in force. There was an, there was an amazing solidarity that allowed for shared grief that, you know, we may call protests in one hand, but I think you got a really good point there, Lee, around it, uh, around the function of these gatherings beyond protests and also inclusive of healing and shared grieving space. You know, and they don't have to be big. Um, Cause I, I think of what, um, you know, one of the former guests that we had on our show, uh, Kate Bean, when, you know, she, she came on and talked about, uh, um, about Fort Snelling and, mm-hmm. and some of those things, but you know, it was basically her, her sister, her dad, her family, <laughs> and other, a few other Dakota individuals who successfully were able to, um, create enough, um, enough disruption around the name of Lake Calhoun mm. to successfully get that name change. You know, I mean, and so, you know, when we, when we talk about disruption and, 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 uh, uh, and that was just centered on education, right? Just mm-hmm. who was Calhoun? He was a slaveholder. Why are we, you know, I mean, so, so, these things happen can happen in many different ways and be successful from from you know closing down the freeway to to how Kate Bean and 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 that, and that family um were successful in getting the name change of one of the biggest most popular lakes in the in Minneapolis in South Minneapolis right i mean so it these things they can take any kind of form um, and they're quite successful. I mean, to add context to that, you know, the, the, the question is, can you find success correlation of success for it? Um, and the answer is absolutely yes. And that's what we've been able to outline. Um, it is still very, we are still very far from, from the, the wants, demands and needs that are being voiced in a lot of these, these, um, current and larger protests. There are six good successful protests and unsuccessful protests. I can think about when folks were mad at Beyonce for her Super Bowl performance because she came out in Black Panther attire and her her dancers one stole the show from Coldplay. Who I don't care what you say, Bruno Mars and Beyonce were the headliners, not Coldplay that year. But um, there were protests. Folks tried to organize a protest at NFL headquarters, and it and it you know ultimately ended up being a couple of folks with you know signs going "We don't like you," and nobody really cared. Like it wasn't, <laughs> it was a blip on it wasn't even a blip on the radar. Um, but folks have had unsuccessful protests over issues that folks don't rally and coalesce around. So you know I think it's important to point out that that pre, pro, that these protests have had traction. That the knee taking a knee uh, uh, on the on the sidelines. Uh, may have hurt hurt um, Colin Kaepernick's career, but it took it, it has taken on. People have rallied to it, and so part of the the folks who are upset about these about protests, I think part of that piece is that this protests for justice have been successful in ways that protests um, centered around removing rights from folks have not been, and I think that's in the mix as well. I think it's I think it's very important to 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 be able to call out. Let, let me ask you this question for, for, for both of y'all, right? So um, we've got protests in many different ways. And, um, you know, there's, there's an uncomfortability or an unease um, with uh, 
not just the disruption that protests give, even though there's historical, you know, accounts of that. But when I'm looking at these protests, there's a, a connotation in, in dominant culture that these protests are only black protests or only native protests. But on the ground in Standing Rock, on the ground here in, in SOS, on the ground in Ferguson, um, what I've seen is a, an extremely multiracial experience, a multiracial, multigendered, multi-aged uh, demonstration of, of, of public voice. And I think that's something that keeps getting overlooked um, throughout this. And so I'm, I'm, I'm curious to, as to what you make of, of the coalitions that are being formed out of these protest spaces. Anthony, do you mean coalitions between communities of color? Yes. Or do you just mean coalitions with, with other odd bedfellows? I mean, you know, because coalitions can, can mean a lot of different things. So. Yeah. And I think so I think I'll be I'll be more specific. It's just that when I look at the protesters on the ground, when I go into these spaces, these spaces are extremely multiracial, more multiracial right. than I see in a day to day basis walking through right. the streets of Minnesota. And 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 I don't disagree with you there at all. And and so I think that you know because in my social media feed, I see I see individuals from from various communities of color are speaking up are uh, pointing out or talking about, you know, uh, the systemic racism and and the impact it has not only on black communities, but on their community also, right? And I'm seeing more and more of that. And I think I've seen more of that develop in the past year as a result of uh, George Floyd than I have at any other time. I mean, I think at that, you know, there's always been um, I mean, even when we go back to abolitionists, mm. there was a lot of white folks who were abolitionists fighting against uh, slavery. There has been that um, support across cultures, across ethnicities, depending on what that cause was. You know, I, I think that there have been a lot of individuals who could see issues in social injustice in this country and we're willing to speak out and stand up. I mean, think of the freedom writers, right? Mm-hmm. Back in the civil rights, many of them gave up their lives, just like our black brothers and sisters who gave up their lives. It brings individuals from those communities together. I still think there's a lot of work that has to happen oh, yeah. in those communities. I posted something on my social media feed a, mm-hmm. a week and a half ago that was pointing out one of the taboo areas in Indian country in terms of uh, anti-blackness that was written by a young Navajo woman who was pointing out this hushed quietness of anti-blackness in Indian country. And I put that on my social media feed and, and said, uh, you know, uh, this exists. If you have questions about it, ask me because I live in that world. And it was like, I could hear crickets, (laughs) but I, I, I digress a little bit. I'm what I was getting at is, yeah, I see this coalition 
on the surface of these protests, but I think there's still a lot of work that has to happen in the background, if that yeah. makes sense. Yeah, I would say I think, you know, during this time of racial reckoning that we're living in, um, these these collaborations are becoming more and more frequent because I think we're all being able to learn about our shared struggles and that um, there's just so much, so much crap basically happening to each of our communities right at this point. (laughs) And so there's this, it is a perfect opportunity for us to find our commonalities and the struggles that we have. I think a lot of it started with Trump. I mean, people going out to protest Trump, it brought out a lot of people who didn't, protest before it brought out a lot of people um from different backgrounds i mean my mom went to my mom started protesting just recently there was a there have been pro there have been protests about you know anti-asian hate and she saw it on her facebook and she called me she's like why didn't you guys take me to these mm. you know and so I, and your mom said my that? mom yeah <laughs> All right. my the dad same mom was, who was mad at you about uh about yes. your trip. marrying a white guy <laughs> Well, yeah. <laughs> well, that too. Yes, I think it's happening a lot, a lot more as we see, um, you know, the anti Asian hate, and then you know, folks in the Black community were saying, "Why should we care that this is happening to your community if you don't care what's happening to our community?" And that opened a dialogue that, yes, has a long way to go, but has started, right? And so there are these opportunities. There, I, I've got some, some, some problems there. And I think I've I've voiced those before. There's a little bit, I feel like there's a little bit of gaslighting in some of those riffs just because of the folks who have shown up, you know, in, 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 in other areas to Don's earlier point that we just don't see. So there's a, there's a piece here that I think, you know, differs from our, our classic understanding of the civil rights movement, you know, um, you know, coalitive, uh, protest spaces, uh, because of how much there is that we don't see because of the amount of information and visual that's out there. So I, I, I do feel a little gaslit in terms of some of the risks between black and Asian community spaces, but I take, I take your point absolutely head, head on. I think one of the examples from our historical space that can give us, um, because I, I do think there is a, there's a level of performance that's part of our current uh, protest space in terms of who participates and how they participate that I think does need to be investigated a little bit. There's a lot of performative allyship. Um, it's not like when the Freedom Riders, to your earlier point, Don, um, said that people were being you know unfairly imprisoned and, and they were in, in Mississippi and um, said, okay, we're going to protest by filling up the jail cells so much that you can't bring folks to jail anymore. And they did it. They did it. You can look at the many mugshots of people from many different backgrounds who filled a jail uh, to protest voting rights and the treatment of folks um, at that at that prison um, in in Mississippi. So I think, and that was that was real, like on the ground risk. You're behind, you know, you know, accomplish uh, accomplishness right there. What is absolutely true is that folks have to contend with the um, racial inequities in ways that they didn't have to before. And you're seeing some like, you're seeing some resistance from folks who are made uncomfortable by this through legislation, trying to ban um, critical race theory in schools. So you can't even talk about the, the, the movements and the coalitions in the past. You've got folks who are, 
are pushing to over certain codes and rules. They're criminalizing protesting, Anthony. criminalizing voting in ways that that that, that are unfounded by any evidence of voter of voter irregularity with the uh, with the voter ID laws, right? And 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 I think it needs to be clear that these issues that folks are fighting are fighting around for people of color. Everybody's like, well, why are you getting political? Well, they're political because our lives are political because we because. It's people governing in ways that p- communities of color have long time said these patterns and policies are negatively affecting us and people aren't listening. What else do you do besides protest and hold folks accountable? And so I think, you know, those have to be in the mix as well. And so so the protest is happening on the streets, but it's also happening in the back rooms. It's happening on letters to legislators. It's happening in phone calls. It's happening to Lee's point earlier about withdrawing money. Their protests and ways of protest are are, are many. But what we can be clear about is they are effective. So I, I really thank y'all for for walking down this 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 pathway to really just unpack and, and think about this. And and I'm grateful for some of the wins that have happened that communities of color have been talking about, from XL pipeline to the organizing that brought us to changes for George Floyd to even our current example of police departments protesting in by withdrawing from a federal task force for the lack of body cams. Protests work in my mind. You've been listening to Counter Stories. I'm Anthony Galloway, Senior Partner at Dendros Group and Executive Director of Arts Us. Don Eubanks, Associate at Dendros Group and Cultural Consultant. And I'm Holly Lee, owner of the Other Media Group and producer of Counter Stories. Thank you for listening. And if you want to hear more, go to counterstories.com. This program is a co-production of the Counter Stories crew, the Other Media Group, and Ampers, diverse radio for Minnesota's communities with support from the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund.